you take your bulletins out, please notice uh, we started into a new series last week. Many were not able to be here, and we know that throughout the summer, many of you will be in vacation and other things. So we want you to stay tapped into what's happening here at Emmanuel. And uh, within the, the new bulletin that we have for this series, on the very back page, we actually have a spot for notes. And, uh, and then on the infold of it, we've got the summer sermon schedule, which has the chapters that we're going through so that you can read ahead, be caught up with it. And then we have a Grow in Faith fasting challenge that you can pick a 10-day period sometime during this series where you choose to fast something and you can hear from God just as Daniel did. One of our goals is that we would learn from the story of Daniel, not just, not just the epic story, but the daily story. What is God saying to us now? And you know, Daniel was able to thrive in Babylon, a horrific culture with spiritism and demonic, satanic activity all around. And still God's kingdom was greater in the middle of that than the stuff that was around him. So we want to encourage you to make use of the bulletin each week. Many times people go, no, I don't need a bulletin today. But each and every week of this series, I want to encourage you to go ahead and take one and use it to take notes or write down your grocery list, whichever you really feel like doing today. Daniel chapter 2 is the week that we're in. So if you get your Bibles out, go ahead and hold them up. You got your Bible? Let me see your Bibles. Electronic version as well as, okay. Go ahead and put it down. You know, my goal is, is that you actually read the Bible, not just let the preacher read the Bible, but the word is living and active, and it's important for us to make it a part of our regular practice. I want to dive right into Daniel chapter 2. Daniel and his friends have just received favor from God, and they've been accepted into this program to serving the king. They've gone through three years of education. And uh, in the Babylonian system, how many know you can still be a Christian and be involved in the public systems around us, okay? These guys proved it. And then they were promoted and given favor um, in their story. And now we come into the point where they're actually getting closer and closer to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, or Nebi, whichever you want to call him. King Nebuchadnezzar was this horrific king who was in charge of everything, and they would conquer nations and do crazy things, kill whole sides of families and murder. So he was someone to be feared. And uh, he has a dream. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. And he called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he, did, he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. And as they stood before the king, he said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. Now, let me stop right there. I want you to catch something really powerful right out of the gate. And that is, the person that is receiving the dream is Nebuchadnezzar, not Daniel. Did you know that God will give dreams and visions to the people in your life, even if they're not a part of the church? As a matter of fact, I think God goes behind all the radar when we go to sleep and we can't put up our, our obstruction, our fences against the truth of God, and a dream can reach us beyond all our defenses. And that's exactly what happens here. And I want you to be aware that the people in your life, perhaps as you are following Christ to the best of your ability, some of the people that you think are the worst, God has a way of reaching those very people. 
and he will reach them with dreams. I hear stories all the time from our missionaries in the Middle East who talk about those who are behind the Islamic curtain, who are having visions of Jesus, and they're seeing the truth, and God's going behind all of the, uh, the, the radar, if you will, underneath all of the, 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 the obstacles, and he's reaching people, and he still wants to do that. And that's the case here in this story. And Nebuchadnezzar wants to know what the dream means. Okay? And he wants to know, so he goes to his, his advisors, and his way that he put together his advisors, he's got all these occultists and spiritists and astrologers and, and people that can't uh, do incantations, and, and he, he goes to them. And by the way, these were his wise men. Okay, These wise men, that whole big group of them, Daniel, Meshach, uh, and the three, I'll just say Daniel and the three. Daniel and the three were a part of that group. That's what they've been accepted into. And so what Nebuchadnezzar says is, if I had a dream, you guys need to tell me first what was my dream, then you need to tell me what the interpretation is. And he didn't want them just to, he didn't want to just share the dream and then have, make up something that he couldn't tell. He, they had to tell the dream. And when they couldn't tell the dream, Something happens. The king becomes mad and he wants to kill them all. Verse 12, it says, the king was furious when he heard this, that they couldn't tell it. And he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. I mean, no, executed means killed. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. And when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. Circle that if you would, or underline it, or highlight it in your word, in your Bible on, on your phone or whatever. Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. I want you to know that is the ultimate aim for all of us. That no matter what those situations are that come up, that we handle it with wisdom and discretion. How many in here, let's just be truthful, know that when something crazy happens to us, we're not always handling it the best of ways. We freak out, we get worried, our fears come to the surface, and our goal is to go Daniel's route where we are able to handle it with wisdom and discretion. Verse 15, he asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? And so Arioch told him all that had happened. Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. So we're caught in this scary moment where Daniel could have freaked out, could have got mad at just all the injustice of the moment, could have yelled and said, this is not right, but instead he pauses and asks a calm question and buys some time for he and his friends to handle this. Today, I want to highlight three attributes of Daniel that enabled him to live in the heart of Babylon. And those three attributes are hope, humility, and wisdom. The first of those is Daniel's hope. Daniel had a hope that enabled him to face it in the moment. Some of you freak out in a moment. Others of you have a calmness about you in a moment. Daniel was able to be calm in the middle of a crisis. And Daniel could do that because he had hope. 
His hope was a confidence. It is a biblical hope. And the biblical hope that, that we see in Scripture is choosing to interpret circumstances through the lens of faith. So when you hit that moment, we choose to view it through faith, not based on what we see. If we view our life only through the lens of what we see, we can be deceived. But if we can have biblical hope, we'll see beyond and through it. It's not wishful thinking. Daniel didn't wish that everything would turn out okay. He didn't panic. Even if sometimes he had no idea what God was up to, he had a deep-seated confidence in God's character and his sovereignty that God would work things together. And he staked his life on it. It was a lens through which he evaluated circumstances, made decisions, and determined his actions. And by the way, this type of hope doesn't happen overnight. It's something that is developed over time. And it starts with simple faith. When we reach the point that we believe that God exists, we go on a journey then of learning who he is and what he means in each and every circumstance that we're in. And with each step along the way, our hope and confidence grow. And every time he solves a problem, he walks us through a valley or stands with us in the midst of the valley, we grow a little bit more like Daniel. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Faith moves beyond the moment we're in. And ultimately, as Christians, we all are looking forward to what Paul calls the blessed hope. The blessed hope. Titus chapter 2 verse 13 says, While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, ultimately we all are living for a day that's not this day. How many know things could get pretty dark, but there's a day coming when Jesus is going to split the eastern sky. That there is something we're living for beyond this moment, this four-year election cycle, beyond what's going on around us, whether or not we just lost our job or our body is failing us. We're living for a day long into the future, and that day is called the blessed hope. I hope today that as believers you're hearing me, that you need to live for a day that's not gonna, uh, uh, your confidence isn't based on whether things go great or whether they go bad, but that you have a hope that supersedes all of that in the long run, even if I'm down, even if I don't understand what's going on, even if I experience the deepest kind of loss, I need to have a blessed hope down the road that pulls me through even the darkest of circumstances. That's the hope, that's biblical hope that Daniel had. And let me just say a, a word about our steps. What you watch, what you listen to, what you read will impact your hope, your faith. So what you're taking in throughout the week will impact the status of your hope. And the media markets based on your fears. So whether it's online or television or uh, uh, marketing of any sorts, they market to your fear. They want you to click on a link and they'll put a fear, it doesn't even have to be true anymore. They'll put a fearful thing or a, something that draws you in and as long as you click that, money goes in the bank for the advertisers to that agency. And so they're constantly feeding us 
with doom and gloom and fear-based stuff and, and even regular marketing. They want to show you the, this beautiful picture of French fries. And you're just like, I got to buy the French fries, right? I've got to buy that steak. I need to get that car. That house is amazing. I can't make it without that infomercial, whatever it is, slice and dice, and it makes your food taste better. And they're doing everything they can to get us to buy into. But here's the thing. They're feeding something else inside of us. That if we don't get those things, we're losing our hope. And we put our hope into temporary things. And as long as we do that, as long as you, you eat enough organic food and, and you eat healthy and don't have processed stuff, you'll never get a disease. And they feed us with that. Now, I'm not against eating healthy. Healthy eating is good. But they're buying into this fear that if we don't do it, our hope is in the food. Friends, our hope is not in the food. Our hope is in the name of the Lord. And they tap us in. But here's, here's what I want you to consider. Whatever you've been reading, thinking, watching, clicking on is impacting the status of your hope. I don't know how your hope is right now. Are you filled with hope through the moment that you're in? I guarantee wherever your hope is, is the result of what's gone in you. That's why in your notes, you'll see the G-I-G-O there. That's for garbage in, garbage out. Because if you put garbage in and you're hearing depression and the sky is falling and things are getting worse, it feeds something in you and it robs the hope that we're talking about. And that's why it's so important to put our thoughts on things above. See, when we focus on the size of our problems, we forget the size of our God. Let me say it again. When we focus on the size of our problems, we forget the size of our God. Romans 10, 17, so, so faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. Daniel's faith in this moment, this hope that he has, is rooted in regular, daily time with God and understanding the word. You and I cannot have hope that fuels our faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. We cannot have fuel for that faith journey if we're not spending time in the word. I don't know how else to say it. My reading of the word will not help your hope. Your reading of the word will help your hope. You've got to know it, focus in on it, let it go in your soul. Even if you don't understand it, come on somebody. We'll do our best to try to explain some of it on Sunday morning. But you need to grow in faith. And by the way, if you're not in a connect group, this is a great thing to do in a connect group, to take the word and then talk about it. What does it mean amongst other believers? It's an opportunity for you. So Daniel goes to prayer, and he calls his friends to prayer, and he's got this moment. And if they don't get a word from God, they're going to be killed. Verse 18 of chapter 2 of Daniel he urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. And this is where we begin to turn the, the story to Daniel's humility. Daniel's humility is the second of the characteristics that I think we need to thrive in Babylon. Verse 19, it says this. That night the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. 
And then Daniel praised the God of heaven and he said, praise the name of God forever and ever for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. Underline that verse in your Bible. Highlight it if you can. That is a powerful truth. In the middle of all this junk going on, God's in charge and he sets kings up and he takes them down. Don't get too caught up in the president of the moment or the movement of the moment or who's getting the notoriety for the moment. If you like it, it may not last. And if you don't like it, it won't last anyways. Friends, I'm telling you, our hope is in the culture of the age around us. Our hope is in the God who sets kings into place and takes them down. That's where Daniel is. And he directs his thoughts that way. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness. And though he is surrounded by light, I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength and you have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. Before he even goes to the king, he pauses and he gives God praise. That's humility. It's recognizing who your strength comes from. You know, I've met a lot of people with a lot of different successes. And not all people that have big businesses are serving God, right? But I can tell you this, if they are a pure-hearted individual and they are serving the Lord and they're willing to let uh, God have the 10% that is his, if they're willing to take care of the poor, and they're willing to bless. He has a way of sending more resources their way. Because God knows they recognize their blessing comes from him. He, listen, if you tithe and you're not a Christian, you'll receive a blessing. This is a powerful truth. There's something about pausing and recognizing anything that's good happening in my life comes from God. We don't often do that, but Daniel does this. And he knows there's no room for sharing God's glory. He had consistently lived with reliance on God. And listen, tr contrast that characteristic against Nebuchadnezzar. And this is something that you're going to need to pick up as you go th through the rest of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar was a prideful individual who was a God who expected people to worship him. And God was sending a message to Nebuchadnezzar that God was above him, okay? And Daniel, when he hears that word, Daniel humbles himself and gives praise back to God. But you're about to see what Nebuchadnezzar does. He hears it, and instead of bowing his knee before heaven, Nebuchadnezzar in chapter three builds a statue. He totally misses it. And I want you to catch this. We're gonna talk about the prophecy and the dream and all of that in a moment. But really what we need to notice in the story is God is bringing a contrast between those who thrive in Babylon and those that are going to be judged for what's happening in Babylon. And if you want to be one that receives the blessing of God in the middle of a storm around you, then humble yourself. Remember who your strength comes from. Turn to the person next to you and say, your strength comes from God. He had a humility that allowed him to handle deep injustice around him. Listen to me. Daniel was mistreated. His family 
had been sent from Israel to Babylon, and here he is, he's lost his family, he's one of the best-looking young men, part of the elite, part of his class in Israel, and now he's uprooted and he's placed in a demonic kingdom. Not only that, but they change his name, his name from Daniel to Belteshazzar. The prefect Bel is about the, the god Marduk from Babylon. So they literally put a demonic god's name at the front of his new name. And he was able to overlook that. On top of that, Daniel was a eunuch. You can read into the scripture and see where, but if you were to serve in the court of the king, you could not be a threat. So they literally castrated him. How many know I would be angry if somebody tried to castrate me? He had a reason to get ticked off. This wasn't like a cool event. All right? And still, Daniel didn't let that detour him. He was convinced God had placed him where he was, and God had a bigger picture event going on. He was a part of a movie. He was not there because he did anything wrong. He was there because his nation had disobeyed God, and he didn't confuse the two. He was able to say, okay, God, I'm here. I want to serve you where I am. People that have gone through deep injustice have got to find ways to keep their heart pure in the middle of their injustice. And Daniel displays just how to do that. The wisdom that he showed, the wisdom to pick his battles prudently, was one of the most important keys to Daniel's success. That's in your notes, by the way. The wisdom to pick his battles prudently was one of the most important keys to Daniel's success. He refused to sin, but he was also committed to overlook things that were merely offensive or demeaning. He didn't let it go in him. He didn't want to win the battle and lose the war. Friends, shouting at the darkness won't change the darkness. Shine your light in the darkness. Daniel was not respectful to Nebuchadnezzar because Nebuchadnezzar deserved it. He was respectful because God commanded it. That's what we need to live like in the world around us. He wasn't a pushover, and he didn't lack confidence. See, biblical humility is not synonymous with self or low self-esteem. No, he was confident in who he was. He just didn't have to reply to everything. You know, when somebody posts something on your social media that's offensive, you don't have to reply to everyone. You don't have to take the bait. You don't have to jump in. You can let them deal with their own judgment. Even if it's against you, let it go. And if you let it go, you win the larger battle where your confidence is in God, not in people's approval. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't take the bait. <laughs> and part of the reason he could do that is that there is always a global story and a personal story going on. He didn't miss the larger picture for the smaller one. And he realized that he was caught in a much bigger story. And that story was important. So Daniel is brought to the king and he's asked if he has the dream and the meaning of the dream. Verse 29. While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events, he tells the dream. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. And it is not because I am wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream but because God wants you to understand what was in what? 
your heart. I, he does two things here. He says, God gets the credit for this. Let's do that, amen, with our lives. When somebody praises us, we should give God the credit, all right? The second thing that he does is he says this. The purpose of the entire dream was to show Nebuchadnezzar what was in his heart, not what the end time chart should look like. Now listen to me closely on this, because I'm going to talk through some of the things that are in the dream in a moment. But I want you to recognize what Daniel said the purpose of the dream was. The purpose of the dream was to shake and wake up Nebuchadnezzar out of his pride for him to come awake that there's a larger picture going on. You know, you can rise the ranks and become powerful and have many employees underneath you, and you can begin to think it's you that built this thing. But God might send you a vision or a dream much like he did Nebuchadnezzar, and the purpose of that dream is to wake you up and remember, he's the one that sets kings up and takes them down. So he had to have an ability to recognize what this thing was about. The third thing that I want you to recognize in Daniel is Daniel's wisdom. Let's look at verse 31. He begins to interpret the vision. He says, in your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge, shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. And the head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron, and its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. And as you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits, and the whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron and clay and bronze and silver and gold. And then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. So here's the statue. Its head is gold. Its chest and arms were silver. And its belly and its thighs were bronze. And its feet were iron and baked clay. And then there's a rock that comes into the picture. And I just want to give you a word about dreams and symbols and prophecy. Many people today are curious about those things. Some of the best novels and movies that are out there involve symbols and end times prophecies. And in the church world, we've had many of the waves of prophetic books and people talking about things. As a kid who grew up in the church, I remember in in the 1980s, 88 reasons why Jesus is coming in 1988. And it swept through the church and sold hundreds of thousands of copies But when Jesus didn't come back in 1988, that book went on the shelf. And you need to be careful when you look at those that are biblical scholars who are saying exactly what something means. Because there are are many books, thousands of books that were prophetic books that kind of got our attention and dominated our time that amounted to nothing. You need to know what to do with the dreams and the visions that you see in the scripture, as well as the dreams that come your way. And really it comes down to this, the particular dream that we see here is given to an ungodly man, and the meaning is addressed both to him as a leader, and God drops a vision in the middle of that for the whole world about things to come in many centuries. And here's what I want you to remember. God will use dreams if 
We yield to how God wants to put things together that he's revealing to us. So in other words, if you got a dream or maybe you had a weird dream in the middle of the night, the important thing is to take what you saw and bring it before God and say, God, what do you think? If you do a, a, a misstep in between there and you say, this is what I saw and I, this is what I think it means before bringing it to God, you might misinterpret the dream. And on top of that, with the garbage in, garbage out, if you've been watching too many things that are demonically influenced, your dream might not be God in its origin. So you have to understand when you do have those moments, you need to take those dreams and bring them to God. And he will help you understand what it means. And even if he doesn't give you a direct revelation, what you can do is you can trust that he's got both the big picture and the small picture in mind. Verse 36, that was the dream. Daniel says, now we will tell the king what it means. Your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven is giving you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you the ruler over all the inhabited world and has given even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. So we know who the head of gold is, right? It's Nebuchadnezzar. But he then goes on to say that each type of metal represented kingdoms or empires that would each replace another empire, all under God's, the God of heaven's direction. And so then you see that statue, and many people over time have isolated what those empires were. And the statue could be the gold is the, represents the Babylonian Empire. The Mede-Persian is the silver. And the Greek is the bronze. And the iron is the Roman Empire. And then there's much disagreement about the mixture of clay and, uh, and the iron and the split of the Roman Empire. But I want you to catch this. Because God is above all of those empires that come and go and they become mere memories. And he's speaking to one king that is speaking to the king of the universe, and Nebuchadnezzar has an opportunity to tap into the timeless. God gives him just a glimpse into the future, but the reality is in the moment he had an opportunity to humble himself. But the truth for us in 2017 is that everyone has empires that seek to overwhelm us. It could be politics, it could be parents and the pressure to keep our kids involved and enough activity so we feel like we're good enough parents. It could be the drive to be healthy or the current pressure to be politically correct. But all we need to hear from Daniel chapter 2 is that every kingdom must bow to the kingdom of God. At this point, I'm going to have our campus pastors, Pastor Nathan and Pastor Brian, to help me finish our message on your campuses but I want us to begin to think about Jesus as being our answer. I want to consider him to be the answer, for he is the rock. What is undisputed in this story is the rock is the kingdom of God. Look at verse 44. During the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. And that is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands, that crushed to pieces the statue of iron 
wearing bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God has shown the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true and the meaning is certain. In other words, the rock is the kingdom of God. And specifically, Jesus is the one that is calling us to be a part of his kingdom. Those that interpret the iron and clay as the Roman Empire being split apart. Jesus was born in the middle of the Roman Empire. And he started small, but how many know he was not made by human hands? And the movement that he began and he instituted, he said, the kingdom of God is available to all. And as people began to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and the kingdom of God began to grow up within the Roman Empire and spread throughout the known world, it became larger as the Roman Empire became smaller. And today it's just a distant memory the Roman Empire is. How many know the kingdom of God is alive and well all over the world? all over the world. Jesus, Jesus is the one, and he brings wisdom to us. And if we were to hear Daniel speaking to us the interpretation of the dream in 2018, and by the way, he is speaking to us, he would say some of us are focusing on who the most powerful things are in the earth today. Is it Russia or U the U.S.? Is it Apple or Microsoft? The Democrats or the Republicans? The yellow, brown, and white races against one another. Corporations versus small business. Organic versus process. You need to now turn your attention away from those kingdoms to the rock that is not made by human hands. Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He's the one. And there is no one that can give you the wisdom to walk through your Babylon like he can. Daniel's wisdom is to bring the truth to the king and let him choose whether or not to humble himself before the God who gave the dream. Verse 48, it says, then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. And he made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over all his wise men. And at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon while Daniel remained in the king's court. We're going to talk a lot over the next few weeks as we go chapter by chapter. But I want you to catch what's happening here. Daniel didn't receive supernatural, crazy Wisdom from God on a whim. He lived a life where he consistently prayed and talked to God. And we're not looking at his personal journal. We're looking at the end of his life where we get highlights of what happened. But if you saw the daily, the daily was a consistent, faithful walk with God. If he were in the New Testament, he would be falling in love with Jesus all over again. And his heart was in the hands of the one that is spoken of as the rock that crushed the statue. But the prophetic word that went to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar didn't hear. If he would have bowed his knee before God, I wonder what would have happened to his kingdom. We're gonna be able to see it in the next few chapters. Because he didn't and he was prideful, God did brought judgment to Nebuchadnezzar. And at the same time, Daniel, in contrast, was humble and God elevated Daniel and his friends. And when Daniel got his promotion, it wasn't all about Daniel. It was about his friends too. 
Because whatever God did in him, he benefited the people that were his friends along the way. We cannot become selfish with the things God does in our life. We've got to have a dream for our friends and our family and our neighborhoods. That God wouldn't just pour out his spirit in our life or in our church, but God would benefit Spring Lake Park and Fridley and Blaine and Champlin Park and Brooklyn Park and Minneapolis and St. Paul. We can't turn a blind eye to the people that God has placed us around. I'll tell you what, in this day, in this very week, after the verdict came down on Friday in the Philando Castile case, my heart was burdened, not because we didn't know something was gonna happen. My heart was burdened because my city is in turmoil. There are people that are law enforcement, that are godly people doing the right thing that I want protected. I do want injustice rooted out, but I want those people still held with high esteem. At the same time, I have African-American people of color friends who are getting pulled over 10 and 30 times and I never get pulled over once on the street that are afraid of dying. I cannot let God move in my life and not care about my neighbor. I must care about my neighbor. I want God's kingdom to come. I want him to come. I want dreams to fall in my friends' lives. I want the interpretation for the dreams. I want God to move not just in my life, but in the community around me. And the only way that I can make a difference is not to look at the big picture and try to get mad at the injustice, but to bow my knee and trust the God of the universe in my part that I can do what I can do from where I am and let God put the whole picture together himself. God's not done with you, and he's not done with the world that's around you. Would you stand with me today?